This episode is brought to you by Direct Drilling, a locally owned family drilling company based in Kununurra, servicing the Kimberley and Northern Territory. All drillers are nationally licensed with the Australian Drilling Industry Association, ensuring best practice, the protection of water resources and guaranteeing the life of the bore. Find out more at directdrill.com.au. Central Station Podcast, where we bring you stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one, as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. Why would you want me on your podcast? There's nothing special about my life. That's the response I get from about 90% of people I invite onto this podcast. And Kirsty Williams was no different. But what I, and I expect our listeners, love about this podcast is the stories of everyday people in rural and remote Australia. Things that aren't necessarily special or interesting to them are often what other people find intriguing. Kirsty Williams lives on Peak Station near Oodnadatta in South Australia. In amongst working on the station, working in town as a teacher, sharing her home with staff and juggling four kids under the age of six and the endless baskets of dirty laundry that come with it all, Kirsty certainly didn't think there was anything interesting about her life to share. But what you'll learn in this episode is that that could not be farther from the truth. There's too many yarns in this episode to preview in the introduction, so I'll just let you listen for yourself. To start with, I asked Kirsty to tell me about the summer of 2018, when her return back to the station after having her fourth child didn't go exactly as planned. It was December 2018. I was down in Adelaide for close to four weeks before having Lenny, because that's what we have to do, having to be relocated to birthing facilities. So I'd spent close to the month down there with three other children who I think after two days were like caged animals in the city. But that was all good. We were down there. Cam flew in the morning I was due to have Lenny because it was terrible drought and he couldn't get away. So I knew I was being induced. So he flew in that morning, picked him up from the airport and went and had Lenny. That was all good. And we had a Welsh backpacker at home looking after the place. So Cam couldn't afford to be away too long. Like he was a great bloke, but obviously didn't know all the ins and outs. And so had Lenny, it was Christmas, and then uh, we sort of needed to get out of there and get home and I couldn't wait to get home it, yeah, after being away for so long. A couple of days after Christmas, packed up all the stuff I seem to have accumulated over the month Got up, we left town about 5am that morning with a brand new baby and the three other kids excited to get home. So 1100 k's to home 
uh, 300 k's of that's dirt. So headed back to Mount Sarah. It was stinking hot even in Adelaide and it only got hotter as we went up the highway. We got home, yeah, at a bit after 6 o'clock and it was still 45 degrees and I remember pulling up in the garage and all smart, well, sort of smiling, the kids were over it, but we opened the door and just got hit with this, like took your breath away, this hot air and I thought, oh, my God, what was I excited about? Yeah, so that was all good. It was nice to be home, I think, start like summertime where you don't have staff so it's a real it is a change of pace where you're not having staff come in for tea at a set time and so you do look forward to summers because of that reason but that was all good we were home the English the Welsh backpacker sorry he took off for, to, for New Year's he couldn't wait to get to Sydney and that was fine and so while I had a sleeping baby when I could I'd go and water the garden that sort of looked a bit sad after quite a stretch of hot days and a backpacker looking after it. So I watered everything I could. I drowned everything because I thought I'll just try and, I don't know, try and fix it if I could. Uh, and, yeah, Cam came in one and he goes, oh, have you turned that pump off? And I said, no, that's, I usually don't touch the pump because I know Cam's got the pump on for uh, – it fed six other tanks like that cattle were on. So he looked at me and – his face just, it just dropped and he says, there's only two foot in it. It's been on for like two days. And I thought, oh, geez, I have been watering stuff pretty heavy handily, but it usually keeps up. So when we realized the house bore that had been in for 69 years had decided to call it a day. And like that time of year, everything's shut down. There's no people around. And we sort of scratched our heads and thought, wow, what are we going to do? So Cam started ringing people and he rang, <laughs> rang all sorts of people and it was like, oh, it'll be, you know, a few weeks away before they can get there and the bore's 300 metres deep. Sorry, so what is, can you just explain to our listeners, what is the significance of having a bore, like how you get water out to your house and you're saying it fed six other tanks, like that's all kind of going a bit, okay. well, I mean, not over my head, but it may, you know, for people that are on city water or town water. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a, um, bore water, so it's being pumped from underground, so artesian basin. So obviously the basin's 300 metres down, so that's how deep the hole needs to be to hit that water. So, And obviously it can be different quality depending on where you are as to how salty it is, but we've got very good water at the house. So, yeah, that's – so the drillers have to drill a hole straight down. So you've got your own water supply, essentially. So I'm just thinking like yeah. when we're in town or when you go to town, everyone's kind oh. of sharing. You're all connected to some big network. Yeah. And I suppose even maybe on some semi-rural properties or yeah. some acreage, it'd still be somewhat connected to town water, but you have your very, like your yeah. own isolated, it's just for you. Yeah. So and there's that no thing, mains. And that thing shut itself is yeah. what you're saying. It yeah. just called it a so, day. Yeah. So we've like, we've got tanks with rainwater, but that's for drinking, um, because it doesn't rain very often, living in the driest part of the state, in the driest part of Australia. So um, rainwater is used just for drinking and when we like really need it. But uh, So the water that comes out of the ground, we don't have a mains water supply like cities do or same as our power, we're on generator power because we don't have power lines running from a power station and so forth. So, yeah, that is, without it, we are waterless. And because it had been so dry, the dams were dry and that's what 
like that's the water for your cattle like to keep your, them alive. Your backup as well. And so yeah. you just said you had six tanks that came out of that bore. So obviously you don't have six tanks at the house. So not only is that bore pumping water for your house, it's also pumping water for cattle to drink from yeah. around the house. Yeah, which is probably the main priority because that's what you're there for to keep your cattle alive. So, yeah. So it's what was this a couple of days after Christmas and it just – Yeah, just decided to – while well, they cave in as such. So, yeah. After 69 yeah, years. Yeah, it had what to happen timing? right at Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's. And the one time of the, of the year when you just know everyone's yep. like on the yep. beers at yep. the beach. With a, and a, with a 10 day old baby that, yeah, I thought I might just have a couple of weeks sitting inside in the aircon and having nice time without the staff there. And yeah, it didn't pan out that way. So, so then what happened? So, after a few begging phone calls to drillers, who obviously they're all on holidays, and Cam finally he got off the phone. He's like, "They'll be here in a week." So, for the interim, we ran a pipeline ten k's from another bore, but it was like when it's forty five degrees and there's poly pipe being run along the ground. By the time the water got to us, you could like you couldn't even touch it. So, like even even as it is, like I run the. Well, when was when I was at Mount Sarah, we'd run the bath at lunchtime because the water, because it comes out of the ground over forty degrees because it's um, bore water, yeah, to cool down. So I used to run their baths at lunchtime and hope that it'd cool down. And if I forgot, I used to have to go and get water out of the fridge to try and cool it down because there's no no other option really. I... So often we use our we use our hot water system in summer when it's a really hot stretch. We use a hot water system. In reverse, so we turn it off and we use the water that's stored in that as our cold water coming out of the taps because otherwise it's too hot. That is wild. I have never even thought, like I know back in there you'd have to like have a little fire under your bath or, you know, boil some water to make you (laughs) – like and that's always my concern is like turning on the hot and being like, oh, no, if there's no hot water, I'm not bathing. I've never thought about your only option being hot water and having to actually – and then what would you do, I guess – Duh, that makes sense. You mm. just wait for it to cool down. but Yeah, so the hot water system would get turned off for about a month over summer. And so, so you like- had to run 10 cl- in this week while you're waiting for these drills to come up. I mean, that's even a massive job in itself. Like, do you have 10 kilometres of poly pipe in, in storage yeah. somewhere and then you've got to go and connect it up and run it out? And, like, 10Ks is a yeah. fairly long distance. Oh, and we're very – like, people sort of, you know, dropped everything and came and ran to help. So, yeah, another family member – came up for the few days and they rolled it out and, and it was 45 and they were having to do that just to try and put a Band-Aid measure over having no water. So I don't know who had the tougher job, people being outside <laughs> in that heat rolling out poly pipe or you in a house with four kids under the age of seven, one oh, of I them, <laughs> or under the age of six, one of them like brand new, yeah. days old, like – with, um, with, you know, yeah, probably have I think it was probably lucky it was my fourth and not my first. Otherwise, yeah. I probably would have gone a bit crazy. But, you know, you suck it up. It's, yeah. And so how – I know you, you said in one of your stories that you wrote about this experience that you and Cam were, like, passing ships in the night. Yeah. I I think once we got the drillers there, so there was three or four of them. It took them about five days. So, obviously, yeah, I thought – I you know, had a few weeks off cooking, but when Cam said, oh, they're heading up, I was like, oh, that's yeah, probably not time to joke about, you know, not really that excited about putting the apron back on. But I, 
it was for a, a very good reason. So suck it up. And yeah, they, they were there for the few days and they drilled the new bore and got it working. But I think from the moment that happened, it was just everything went wrong that summer. Like there's just the pipelines were breaking and there was blockages with all this shale and stuff in it. Like it just, and I think because it was such a dry time, um, like there was no surface water, there was no dams or water holes or anything. So uh, we were literally just chasing our tails. So you have a breakdown, like a pipeline break, and we were like that puts you behind a day and you don't really have a day up your sleeve when it's so hot because you've got cattle like waiting waiting for a drink. And then if you get an overcast day because it's on solar panels and so an overcast day would come in and then the pumps wouldn't pump the water once it was there. So having to run like like little generators out to try and pump the water and what usually works like a well-oiled machine, it just it didn't. So, yeah, Cam... I would be up in the night feeding and I'd say Cam in bed and by the time like I'd get up early in the morning he'd be gone already just ch- like chasing waters the whole time. Um, and usually with staff away and then we had to get one of them back like soon after Christmas. So I definitely didn't look at social media and see all my friends that are down the river or at the beach on these nice holidays. I just, it was easy just to, to erase that from, from even looking at. So, yeah, so Cam, I don't know, it was, I guess, the pressure, just this constant pressure, like, it, and it, not knowing when it was going to end, like, it, and it, it, I think what gets through is you know it will come to an end, but it's just when and how, and we, yeah, so Cam would come in, like, one o'clock in the morning, and then I'd see him there, and then he'd be gone again, and, and he's feeling that guilty that I'm left at home with, with a newborn and these three other children. And I, we couldn't go outside because it was too hot, apart from late in the afternoon. But even trying to take four kids swimming is not the most enjoyable exercise anyway. So we had a, a lad that worked for us a few years before, an English lad. His parents were coming to visit that same week. And usually Cam, would he would have driven in, like done the 600K round trip to go and pick them up from the airport and bring them home. But he just goes, Cassie, I'm, I'm so sorry, I, I just can't. So, yeah, there I was with 10-day-old baby and piled Lenny and the other three kids into the car and we did the 600K trip and picked up. And they they came out and they were, they just, yeah, it was a whole different world. They But they loved it. They had a great, great time. Like, even though it was as stressful as it was, he was a farmer and he stoked to be able to help Cam for a few days. And I don't know, you just do what you have to, really. So, But Cam felt that terrible for me and I felt terrible for him that he was barely sleeping and, stressed out of his mind and but yeah it it probably brings you brings you a lot closer and just yeah admiration for each other really it's i just think there's it's not just a pressure cooker situation like there's just pressure from so many different areas like you don't have water for the cattle you know then you've got your ongoing drought it's also just disgustingly hot you've got small children you've just come home with a newborn you're either i mean obviously i haven't had a child but understand that your body goes through all these changes after having a like you know you've just had a baby and you know whatever is going you're trying to heal your body and you're trying to feed this little thing and I don't know if he was sleeping well or not but like just having a baby under normal circumstances like everything else being equal is can be a fairly big adjustment but then you've got that three <laughs> kids under six or seven and then everything else going on how I think for a lot of people that would have seen them become very overwhelmed and potentially like withdraw or just 
honestly, like have a meltdown, but you, you seem to take it in your stride, which just yeah. amazes me. Oh, I get this. You have to deal with it. There's no other, like you can't walk away and um, it definitely makes a mockery of maternity leave. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's that mentality or that mindset though. Like you said, it brings you and Cam closer. Whereas I can certainly imagine and think of people I know where that would start nitpicking or, you know, all the stresses yeah. and it's, it could be so easy for it to go the other way. I think, you know, you know, it's, it will come to an end. Like it, it's not forever. It's okay. I, it's a bit like a, a newborn baby. It's like not sleeping in the night. You know, it's not forever. So. I know first one, probably nobody can tell you that because it feels like it does go on forever. But by the fourth, fourth child, you just, you do, you suck it up, you get on with it. And, and every day is a new day. Like you don't know what it's going to bring. So I think it's more just focusing on, on the positives. Like where kids were happy, like they were still on school holidays. They were having like, you know, they knew like Cam wasn't around. And, uh, and I guess they, they do miss out in a way that, you know, we weren't going to the beach or doing n- like normal things, but we weren't going on holiday. We couldn't get away. But I think it's just focusing on focusing on what you can change, really. Like rather than there's no point dwelling on on what we couldn't or what you can't change. And yeah, we knew it would come to an end. So. I think that's going to be a bit of a theme for this episode with you, uh, which you've actually also written another blog for us called Don't Dwell on the Small Things. And I'll make sure I put all these <laughs> links in the show notes. And this is back when you were at Mount Sarah Station. So I suppose we've just kind of given people a bit of an introduction to your life, a snapshot of one summer. That was the 2018 slash 19 summer. And yeah. while that, those were, I suppose, extraordinary circumstances there were also fairly ordinary circumstances because something like this can happen at any point in time mm. and it just is kind of part and parcel of the life that yeah. you lead so we should probably tell people a bit about who you are and where you are so today yeah. we're um recording from peak station which is between Udnadatta and william creek but when i first met you with my little air quotes <laughs> when i first internet stalked you yeah. um where were you when you were harassing me, yeah. Um, no, we were located at Mount Sarah Station. So we were 80 kilometres um, the other side of Udendada towards sort of the Northern Territory um, border, part of Williams Cattle Company. And, yeah, we'd spent, we've only moved last July. So we'd spent eight and a half years up there um, and have just, yeah, moved, moved down to the peak for, you know, a bit of a change, new project. Now you've not always been on a station though. So, so Williams Cattle Company, um, they've got about seven properties up here. And as people would have seen in the title, your name is Kirsty Williams. Mm-hmm. So, um, your husband Cam is, is the Williams in that. Um, yeah. so it's family owned company. Pretty much most of the places are run by family members. Yeah. Where did you grow up and how did you come to? Okay. You've just got to give me one. Like, <laughs> this happens every episode. People will be- definitely remember this. I think I even asked Tony Williams, like how he met his wife and stuff like, <laughs> ask everyone, but just tell me a little bit about, um, where you like, you know, growing up and what you were like as a kid. But then of course, obviously, duh guys, this is me. I want to know how you met him. <laughs> uh, I grew up on a, uh, a sheep station just north of Port Augusta. Um, and, yeah, spent my whole childhood there and uh, did school by distance ed and then went to boarding school for my secondary school down in Adelaide. Had the best five years of my life. I love boarding school. And then had a year off and worked around the place and then I went to uni, did teaching, 
I, while I was at uni, mum and dad had moved to another property that bought another place. So a couple of girls and I had heard about this event on at William Creek. We didn't know much about William Creek or, cause we, you know, like looking at it now, it seems ridiculous, but when you're down south and have no reason to come up this far, like it all just seems a bit foreign, but we heard about this show and we thought, oh, what the hell, let's go. And my brother was working like, on my parents' place at the time. He goes, oh, righty, oh, well, him and one of the, their work um, came as well. And we headed up uh, to William Creek and it was the end of like a cattle drive and it was a Bronco branding. I had no idea really what a Bronco branding was, to be honest. I was from sheep country, like I you know, it was cow related. Could you imagine so, Bronco uh, branding sheep? Yeah, well, I just I was like, oh, and anyway, it was a great road trip with the girls and got out there. I I actually don't think I probably saw two cows the entire weekend. We had such a good time, and um, it wasn't till the night. Like, and my brother knew Cam's sister beforehand, but I didn't even know Cam existed. And uh, my brother actually introduced me to Cam and said, oh. Cam, this is Kirsty. Kirsty, this is Cam. Cam, don't bloody well touch her. And then just walked off laughing and I don't know whether Cam thought that was a challenge or what it was, but that was where I first met Cam and, yeah, took us a while to get our stuff together and um, I went overseas for a while and then, uh, yeah, here we are. That was 2004, so. Okay, so the other night. Uh, a couple of weeks ago on a Friday night, everyone was having a few. Well, I didn't. I was eating all the chocolates, but there was some beers, some uh, red wine. Uh, Kate, yeah, we're talking about you. <laughs> some whiskey being consumed around the table, and I heard some great yarns. But I'm not. I'm. I won't let you. Uh, if you don't want to, you don't have to repeat them. That's fine. But I do need to note that William Creek seems to be like a bit of a magical yeah. spot because that's where Jill and yeah. um, Cole kind of met or re met yeah. there. And I feel like there's been another one, but I can't think of it because I just remember being like everybody. And for those of you that don't know, William Creek's got a population of about eight people. So it's just, yeah. But yeah, just just for people listening to know, I I suppose everybody knows there's always more to the story than that. And uh, I guess that just stays between you, me and a bottle of red wine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Cam was was working up here at the time and I was teaching down south. So uh, we did long distance for farewell like and you know there was no only snapchat was any of the social media so he would be out on camp for a week and come back in and he'd ring but if I missed it then another week went by and we I just used to drive up for an event like you'd drive a thousand k's and have a huge weekend and then drive back and see each other five weeks later and um we did that for a few or three years I think and then he moved to the southern property just so he was closer while I was teaching and uh, yeah, and we spent a couple of years down there um, and then obviously got married and then the opportunity came up to move up to Mount Sarah. I think Cam was 26, I was 27, and so I had a job that I absolutely loved like in local area school and I think I cried when Cam said, oh, we, I think we should, like, we should go, and I thought, oh, my God, I've got my dream job. And But in St. Like, we would contemplate, like, you know, kids were on the horizon and... So when the opportunity arose, so Cam, I knew Cam wanted to come back up, up this way. And so, yeah, that's, we talked about kids and. Yeah. So I had, I did have Lucy and then we moved up after, after I had Lucy. So, but we were very, like, we were incredibly fortunate that we, you know, Lucy, that all happened very quickly, but we did have our 
few hurdles like in that pregnancy and after when Lucy was born. So I had to wait a few months before we did move up, but then, yeah. I just want to clarify for people listening because you've just – you know, when you're saying that he would call you on the phone and if you missed it, you know, you'd have to wait another week because he'd go out in camp. Um, you and Cam are only in your mid thirties. Like you're not actually <laughs> old. Like listening to that, you could sound like mid forties or fifty. Not that that's old. Sorry. Anyone's listening, <laughs> but just saying that, you know, yeah, with a, you know, really so changed. just on the cusp of, you know, I think oh, we would have been in uni when, when yeah. Facebook came out and stuff. Yeah. So this is just before all that and when people actually yeah. had to have a conversation yeah. and call you up and say, hi, Kirsty, how are you? Not just like a Snapchat going of like, you know, from <laughs> under your chin, like with and the ugly in. angle, be like, hey, what, you know, or yeah. God forbid, as we all know my experience, getting Snapchats of other body yeah. parts. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I just forgot about that until we just said, anybody listening, Snapchat is for your face only or turn the camera, if you're going to turn the camera around the other way, I, I don't even have point it somewhere so else. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But I think the, like, it was around back then, but because of internet up here, uh, like, it's very limited. And yeah, yeah. it's come a long, long way with Sky Muster. And, uh, but then you just had, you had one computer in a house that was connected to the internet. Like, you took turns to go and check your emails. Like, it was, yeah, there wasn't the, you know, Wi Fi wasn't, no, that, you know, that was at McDonald's and that was about it. Like, it, it wasn't up here. So, only because you had such limited data and it was, it's so expensive and it still is really compared to city people. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So internet was around. We just couldn't make use of it. So I want to talk a bit about what it was like or what it's been like raising your kids up here because how we first got to know each other is through a story that, so the isolated children's parents association kind of put the call out to all their members saying, we'd love to have some stories for central station. And, um, Yours is one that is always, it's like in my top five favorites of all time. And it's called Little Boy in a Big Man's World. And it's about your second child, George, who yep. is now seven, but he was three at the time you wrote it. Yeah. And again, everyone, you're going to have to listen to it. Or if you don't listen, if you don't want to read it, sorry, or we'll be putting it up as its own episode. Kirsty's just read it out before we did this episode. Um, but tell me about George and. And I guess what it's been like, I mean, you, not that you know any different, but what it's been like raising him and the other kids up here in, I suppose you've got like an isolated area in, you know, just there's all these different aspects, but also I suppose a big part is the the lack of children and the abundance of adults. Yeah. Yeah. I get they don't know any different. So, but when we first moved to Mount Sarah, there was one other family in the area who had uh, one child with one on the way, and um, obviously you make connections with those people pretty quickly. Uh, I don't know the kids. I don't know they just they love it. Like I think as as I said, like it's focusing. I I don't get me wrong. I've had mum guilt where you think, oh my gosh, you know they're not getting to play os kick and they're not getting to do all. They don't get like Lucy doesn't get to go and do dance or play netball or do all those things that you that are perceived as normal. But for us, I think it, it's been focusing on actually what they do get that other kids don't get. Like George walks out of the schoolroom and jumps on his motorbike and assumes that's how I know he's out of school because he goes off and goes for a ride and, you know, they've got their horses and they've got things that lots of little kids would only dream of ever having. So what they miss out on. Compared to city kids, they they probably make up for in other areas, but they grow up in an adult's world because it, obviously you're not surrounded by kids. They don't see kids every day other than online on their school lessons through school of the year. 
So they're surrounded by adults and a lot of them are staff that are sort of, you know, 18, 19 or their early 20s. So sometimes I'm not sure about some of their role models, but some are great. Uh, and they, yeah, they just, they grow up. They're, George was, he's always been such a little old soul since he was born and all he's ever wanted to do was be a ringer and he copies what Cam wears and he just wants to do what he'll sit out, whether it's 40 degrees and he sits out in the cattle yard, he just wants to be out there with them. So, but I think they just learn, I don't know, this, well, as I said, they don't know any different. Yeah, I think they see the day-to-day runnings and I guess we're fortunate in the kids see like it's, it's our, it's our job and they see like how many kids get to go to work with their kid, like their parents every day. So they actually see, you know, mum and dad working and yeah, George is always, he'd copy, like he just thinks he gets a ticket wherever dad's going until school started and that really put a damper on that. But yeah, when he was little, he'd pack his, pack his lunchbox like himself, just throwing his apples and, pack something for Cam and out the door, but they become very accustomed to just being an old soul because they see the cycle of life. Like, you know, we you might get a potty calf that comes in and you feed it and a week later it doesn't make it. And and I think, you know, for some some kids they probably don't see a dead animal for years into their life, whereas ours, you know, it's not all about death, but, it you know, they see... They see you get a killer, like they see you cut it up and they see you chop it up and put it in bags and it goes in the freezer and it's that whole, you know, like we don't have to teach them that sort of stuff because they live and breathe it. I think a great example of that is when I was just here a few weeks ago, you had a potty calf (laughs) and it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, sometimes, you know, and you it doesn't matter how much, you know, TLC mm. you give it. Sometimes they just, yeah. whether it's they lose the will or they have an infection, like, you know, there's a variety of reasons. But when I came back today, uh, so George, I was like, oh, do you, he says, oh, we got a new potty calf. I was like, oh, is that, no, I saw the one the other week. He says, no, we got a new one. And I was like, oh, what about the one, the last one? He's like, what one? I was like, oh, you and Kate were feeding it. And I took some pictures of you guys. And he just looks at me and goes, <laughs> like it makes a gun sound. It's funny you like, say that because George, when he used to talk that, like, it took him a long time to speak. Like I don't think he talked words properly until he was about three. And like, like animals just, you know, if it was a cow, it was a moo, and if it was a pig, it was a <laughs> And then like he'd say, oh, what's that? And you'd be looking at a kangaroo and he's like, ch-ch. Like, yeah. <laughs> that was the noise a kangaroo made. So, yeah, it, I don't know. Yeah, it just is so um, – and and to clarify, like, the, the calf was euthanised, you know, for the – because that was the best outcome. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. you got to – yeah. But just that he – yeah, that's just he's like – Yeah. And even even the other week, Lenny, who's two, had like a a, a little toy <laughs> rifle, a little toy shotgun, You make everyone actually. think we're like – He's crazy, like, <laughs> rednecks with guns. No, no, no. Hey, he was, he was, well, like, one of those things where he's around all these – it wasn't his gun, it was some other kid's gun. It was like a toy mm-hmm. one, but he was like <laughs> – it's funny because he just looked like Elmer Fudd and Elmer Fudd has the gun <laughs> and he kind of had it and he was pretending that like there were kangaroos and he was shooting the kangaroos and he's just, but you know, like they just. Yeah, they do. They pick it up. And so even, you know, and a couple of days ago you guys had puppies and, you know, of the little one didn't, yeah. one didn't make it, but they, so they see the birth and they see life starting, but then they learn in the same moment that, hey, it doesn't mm. always turn yeah. out. Yeah. And I think it's. But, you know, it comes back to actually, I guess, the positive. Like, you know, there were six healthy ones and there's nothing we could have done. We did everything we could and, yeah, so it's you can't dwell on what you can't change. So that's sort of 
probably what we've tried to instill in them. But yeah, well, they're very well-rounded kids, and yeah, and some of their language I'm not so sure about because they do pick that up from staff, and that's yeah. so, like George. He's always since he, I think that was early on when he was learning to talk, and he just drops something. Oh, muck's sake! And you're like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. But the swearing because that's what the boys do, and that's what they do in the shed. So they know it's not allowed at the kitchen table, but. They <laughs> they do, they pick up from the boys and even the way they talk and sometimes like, you know, they walk over and they're, oh, you boys can knock off now as if, like, you know, <laughs> they've got some off. sort of authority. Yeah, so they they do, they just, they see, they start, like they see a day, they get up early, they're up when we all have breakfast together and but in saying that as well, like the staff have, they become very much family as well because we spend so much time together and we eat all our meals together and yeah so I think I'll never forget I think the first morning I was here and so George is seven okay and it's smoko and everyone's coming in and grabbing you know their cookies and cakes (laughs) and slice and you know making a cup or a coffee and George just sits down at the table with like you know a cookie or something and he's got this mug with tea and he's he's put a tea bag in he's put the hot water in he's put some milk in and he's sitting there drinking his tea I didn't drink tea until I was 25 (laughs) years old and I was only because I forced myself because I also don't drink coffee and I was like okay you can't be 25 and not like be a wine tea or coffee like you're not a real grown-up so I forced myself to learn how to drink tea now I enjoy it I'm like is this seven-year-old kid sitting amongst all these adults and he's just made himself a cup of white tea and he's just sitting there drinking it. And I was like, shouldn't you be having like a Milo or, an, or a Nesquik? Like I would have been on the Nesquik or the yeah. Ovaltine or something. Or oh, it's funny, like you even look at their school timetable and it's got Smoko as like most people would know that as recess and te- we have itinerant teachers come out once a term and they're like smoko like that's such <laughs> like that's such a an old school thing but that's what the kids know it as they didn't they don't realize it used to mean a smoke break or whatever else but that's it's smoko and that's what they yeah when we had an itinerant teacher here last year and we went in for smoko and and um I think Jack or who was like four at the time he's cutting himself a big piece of meat like just to put on his toes and she just she goes oh my gosh like you know we try and teach like those sort of skills at kindy and stuff and the kids are just here making their own like they have to do stuff on their own because I can't like it's it all gets too busy I think to, if I had to do every single thing they become very independent that's what it's yeah they're capable yeah. capable uh, yeah I can't even say that very capable, capable mm. little buggers yeah and I, I sort of have like you know, we we try and slow down, but it it does become you live you live here, you work here, you you know it all revolves around the station. And so when it is drought and stuff like you know the pressure's on, time's busy, and so the kids are probably the first to not get neglected, but you know they're the first to sort of miss out on bits and pieces, and well, they well, just maybe not be babied well, as long probably, as they yeah, like you don't have time to sit there and. And I'm, I'm guilty of like you, you know, they're the first like go away, just I'll do it later. I'll, I'll make time for it later. And, and I, like you do, you go to bed with serious mum guilt thinking, Oh my God, tomorrow I'll be a better mum. I'll spend some time with them. But in saying that I, I really had to get over the fact that, you know, I might not be sitting there doing painting and coloring in and stuff, but what they get to do in a day with us, like they're around us all the time. So they cook and they garden and they go out on water runs and they're, you know, they're cutting up meat and they're doing all these other things. That, and they're all, it's all life skills. So 
I had to really like, you know, just because they're not doing the the gluing and the, you know, the school stuff that it wasn't meaning that they weren't learning. So. Well, the, the other thing I've really noticed about your kids, um, and I'm not saying that, you know, like something is better than something else. No, you know, and no, no, pairing, no. Parenting or children or whatever is that they have big imaginations and they still, the boys at, at the very least, like still really play and like they've got their stamping yeah. and they've got their toys and they'll go outside and be in like their little workshop or their yeah. cubby house and they'll be in there for hours or they'll be out on the trampoline and they're not, I've never caught them. Like, yeah, they've seen like watch TV every now and then, but like you never see them like on their iPad or like, no, you know, like no, it's not that. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, and that's probably come from not having very good internet, but I've just like, they, I don't it's know. It's probably a blessing though, but they have such big imaginations yeah. as well. And just, um, while we're here, tell this. You were just telling me before, while I was waiting for you to come over and record, you thought George was over here with me, <laughs> and then you left the house. And <laughs> I, yeah, I thought he was in here with Steph, but I went out to just make sure I <laughs> turned some drippers on some trees. And I looked, all I heard was, "Yeah, back, back, bit further." And he's like helping one of the ringers back into to a trailer in the truck. So I, <laughs> he, yeah, he just does what he wants. He just really. finds yeah, he work. loves it. He's yeah. all, he's always doing like this is what I love is that like he's always doing something. You'll be wash I'll be like washing the dishes and look out the window and he's just off on his like <laughs> little bike just riding and then he'll yeah he's just always doing yeah. something and he is hopefully we'll get an episode out of him maybe like next time I come back because you guys you have to hear his voice. He's got like I love this is like my little like George love, you know moment but like he's just got uh, his little husky voice and he is he's such an old soul and he wears like he's like little bull catching belt like, <laughs> oh hand me downs from yeah. Head. I think it's, and he's got his big idol mm. at the moment, mm. Dylan McCools, oh, yeah, who's one of your contractors. Yep. Mm. And um, I thought I was pretty special until Dylan came along and now it's all about dish. Dylan. <laughs> no. He hey. just wants to be just like him and he'd yeah, be, what, early 20s and he yeah. rides a motorbike yeah. and contracts. And oh, he's, Dylan's amazing. He goes love him. next to him yeah. at the table. I'm like, come sit next to your favourite person. He no, goes no, sit no. next to Dylan. I'm like, oh, excuse you. Like, <laughs> you can't ride a motorbike just like Dylan. No, no. George can never take me on a motorbike, so. No, but I don't know. You you can't make them love it, um, but if, you know, it's there. And, yeah, he's always been like it. And the other kids love it as well. They just, you know, like Lucy now at nine, you know, camps. So do you want to come on a ball run? Sure. Oh, which one? You know, like <laughs> how long is it? Yeah, if, yeah. It's, if it's not a short one, then uh, no thanks. I'll just stay home or yeah, so, or if there's a water hole at the end that they get to go for a swim or something, she might, but yeah, she's pretty picky. She's, she's switched on she's enough. Wise, yeah, she can yeah. see on the map where, where they're heading or she can remember where they're going. So, um, but no, it, I don't know. They, the kids are, you know, they love where they live and they love, they, they get the best of both worlds. When we head to the city and, you know, they get, they get that and they catch up with cousins and friends and, and George and Jack, like they, they love playing their, football and cricket when they can, but it's, you know, they know that it's can't be done all the time. Actually, when we were just talking before about them learning to be independent, um, that just reminded me of something you wrote in the story about George, about how he, while you weren't looking, he went and like climbed the cool room shelves and got a bag of mm. carrots. Yeah. And then. I know, it was sneaky or rude or whatever, but no, he, yeah, just to feed the horses and snuck past me and. I think, yeah, he could barely went, went ride off a bike. His, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He could see the horses in the distance, so he took off and he's pushed by this little bag of carrots hanging over the hand. And I'd asked him, I said, what are you doing? He said, well, nothing. And, yeah, sneaky little bag. I went and climbed in and grabbed a bag of carrots. And 
problem is then I go in to cook tea and uh, they're out of carrots. So, hey, yeah. You don't very, have to worry very about them resourceful. Going, yeah, don't have to worry about them going no. hungry though. Like, you know, he can get into the cool room and he no. can get what he wants from any shelf. So. But they're funny that like you go for a drive and, you know, they can see from eight like So if I'm squinting and they can tell me if it's a steer or if it's a bull or like, you know, what colour ear tag it's got and uh, it just, yeah, they – I guess because it's it's been with them since day dot. So, yeah, George probably the worst thing he would he loves wanted a pocket knife, and I finally did give him last year. But I got him a kid's pocket knife, so it's pretty well blunt because he got hold of Cam's pocket knife one other time. <laughs> he was quite young, but Cam had given it to him because he had a meltdown. Then Cam went out the door, and I had no idea. But I looked out the window, and he had out family dog like he had his knee on his chest and he had hold of his ear and he's about to give the dog an earmark as that I banged on the window and he turned around and just let the dog go and the dog wandered off but yeah I said oh my god if I see you cutting another animal like that is it and he (laughs) he no sooner had I said that and I turned around he's carving his name in the tree so yeah, the pocket knife did get confiscated until I think he got one this year for Christmas, so a couple of years later when his mind matured enough to realise what what it's actually for. It's probably the only time, though, where that is somewhat acceptable because so for people <laughs> that aren't familiar, so earmarking is generally like I guess you can use a knife or depending on, on the shape. So in Kadu you'll see like a little notch taken out of yeah. the ear, maybe like – a circle or a triangle, different combination, and that is a um, way to signify. Yeah. yeah, and it's kind of just like getting your ears pierced, but there's actually the piece yeah. of skin that's removed. And um, in any other circumstance, as people know from listening to me, I listen to way too much true crime. <laughs> and so in any other circumstance, if I heard of a child, like, cutting an animal, I'd be like, that is a future serial killer right there. But this is probably the only time that it's not indicating that because no. that's something he his sees. His heart was in a good place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just he just thinks he's doing the work that yeah. he sees everyone else doing. He's yeah. trying to, you know, do the management thing and everything else has got an earmark, so why shouldn't yeah. the dog? And Yeah. And I think, like, Lucy, when she was – um in kindy, I remember like we'd taken the dog in. The vet was visiting the local community, and so we took the dog in to get um, desexed. Because, like, and you know, on that Monday on kindy, and Lucy said, "Oh, the the dog's been into the doctor." And my like, kindy teacher said, "Oh, what what happened?" And she goes, "Oh, he went to get his balls cut out." And I was like, "Oh my god, you can't say that online." And the kindy teacher goes, "Pardon, Lucy, I didn't quite get that." And she's he went to get his balls cut out. And the kindy just goes, oh, oh, okay. And, yeah, there's no, oh, he's just getting de-sexed. It was straight because that's what we do with the cows. So, like, there's little balls. So, yeah, that's <laughs> it's all relative, I guess. They do see an awful lot. What about, you know, as as people would have got from the opening story when we started recording with that drought that you'd been in in 2018 to 19, but, you know, beyond that, there, there have been and there always will be hard times, whether it's drought, flood, broken things, death, whatever, you know, anything. Um, how do you go about, I suppose, protect, like, you know, like you said, your kids can't not see it, but I suppose protecting them or sheltering them, but then also exposing them to it and finding that balance. And and just mm. also for you yourself, coping through such stressful situations while raising, again, not just one kid, but four. Like there's a <laughs> lot going on here. 
I think sometimes we don't give them credit for actually how switched on they are um, with what's going on. You think you sort of, you know, you, um, you, yeah, you keep it away from them, but they know they know what's going on. Like especially when when that summer, well, and that like we we barely had two inches in the twenty four months. Like it was dismal, and just each month gets harder. But you sort of. Um, you know, you plug plough through each day, hoping that you what well, you are. You're one day closer to it raining. But the kids, they do pick up on it, and they pick up like you know, they'll ask questions like, "Why are you doing this now? Or why why are we shifting those cattle when there's still water there?" Like you know, you. And so they, yeah, I guess each day, no matter how hard it is, um, when times do get a bit rocky, uh, like the kids still bounce out of bed like their kids and. Every day is a good day and they bounce out of bed and, you know, what's happening today. And during, I guess, Cam, during that really crappy time, he, he wasn't around much at all. But they they sort of take it in their stride. They understand, that, like, why, why. And I guess probably the biggest thing for me is just being honest with them, like why are we doing things or, you know, what don't don't try and hide it from them. Like it, because at the end of the day it, it is what it is and, yeah, I think the kids do keep you grounded in that. And they they ask you the most blatant questions of, you know, why why it's happening. But George, like, he was heading towards his fifth birthday and I said, oh, what do you, you know, what would you like for your birthday? And he said, oh, I'll, I'll think about it. And I thought, you know, like, you might toy motorbike or, you know, a new push bike or something that most five-year-olds might want. And, yeah, I was in the kitchen and, and he just said, oh, Mum, I'm, I think I know what I want for my birthday. Oh, beauty. Like, here we go. I'll be able to, I've got time to put an order in. And, and he goes, Oh, I just, uh, I want a rain making machine. Like, so, so dad, dad'll be happy. And I thought, Oh, shit. Like, and that's, I think that's when the penny dropped of, of how much they take on their shoulders. So, but yeah, it, it all comes around in circle. Like, you know, you have your good times, you have your bad times and, you know, no, it'll get better. Yeah, they um, it, it's an incredibly perceptive moment. Yeah, like for him just to yeah, and to even think, you know, like I want a machine so I can make as much rain yeah. as I can. And but even it got to the point, like you know, they'd look at the news and they'd see it's raining in Darwin, and they're like, oh, we're going to get that rain. Like they knew that rain was going to fix it. That that's so. It's all those you know, it's all those little things that they learn of why what the problem is, why is it a problem, and. You know, if you don't have fat cattle, you can't sell them and you don't want them dying and, like, why are we moving them down to one of the other properties? And, yeah, so there's there's a lot involved in it, but they do, they're like little sponges. They they take it all in and, yeah, I guess you just try and you, you need to remain positive and make sure that they do still, you know, like we'd still have our family time when we could in the afternoons and the kids would be in the pool and you realise they're just, they are kids, like just being kids, but they, they take in a lot that, other kids would have no idea about like it. But every, you know, I'm not saying people in the city don't have their stressful jobs and stuff like that, but, it, yeah, there's a different element to it. I think also just the idea that even if it wasn't something like, you know, the rainmaking machine, but he's what I want for my birthday is something for someone else. Yes. That idea of that generosity yeah. and that putting someone else before yeah. himself, like that's also, especially at the age of, you know, four turning five, yeah. like, it's incredible. Yeah. They are beautiful kids, oh, as they, you know. I, do, I don't have favourites. Um, out of, I love all the kids and all the stations that I visit. But. <laughs> no. It's, uh, yeah, it, 
I don't know. It's a good, it's good, whatever very good you, lifestyle. Whatever you're doing, you're doing it well. <laughs> they are freaking adorable and I love them so Sorry, much. Sorry, we have our days where it's lucky I don't have close neighbours. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not the perfect mother, I can do it. <laughs> um, oh, goodness. I want to um, talk a little bit now about the different things you see out here, you know, you've had some pretty, um, you've come across some things, you've had some visitors, I suppose. Yeah. Well, actually, while, while we're, uh, we'll start off before we get to your visitors that came to Mount Sarah, we'll talk about the, um, the, the mailman who would bring you your supplies. You were just uh, telling me a bit of a yarn about <laughs> that day, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> so our mail, um, comes from Cobapedi. Oh, well, it comes up from Adelaide and gets brought out to Cobapedi, um, by Peter Rowe. And it, sorry, it comes to Udnadatta from Cobapedi and, uh, gets dropped off there and then the Udnadatta, like the Peng Roadhouse, sorts it and then another mailman who's local to Udnadatta brings it out, like he'd bring it out twice a week. And so once a week we can get food, we order through the supermarket in Kubapedi and it comes out on the mail. Like we, we're very remote but we're very fortunate in the service that we get. Uh, so our food would come out with the mail and then Robert, the mailman, would bring it from Udnadatta and and yeah, the kids, no matter how many times I tried to explain them, they still thought Robert bought all our food for us. And like they'd open the box of groceries and they're like, ah, oh, Robert bought us some yogurt this week. And, and it didn't matter what I said. Robert, Robert was the hero that bought us all our food. Like he dropped it at the door, but he did our shopping every week. And no matter how many times I explained, no, I put an email in and I pay for it. Oh no, Robert, Robert got us some, you know, like cheese sticks this week. Wow. And yeah, it just, <laughs> they, they finally get it now. I think that Rowie's, now we're down here and Rowie does our mail. So. Yeah. Mm. So that was probably the most exciting person to come down the driveway yeah. for the kids. <laughs> they love Rowie. The man, He's amazing. Yeah, the man yeah. who brings them the mail and on all the fun stuff. But what about for you? Like you've had some, all sorts of people turn up on your doorstep, which you might think living in the middle of nowhere, like quite literally, like, and it's not yeah. just a lowly populated area, like sparsely populated area. It is very sparsely populated yeah. Yeah. and people don't just turn up by accident. So who have you had? they do, but we um, – <laughs> well, Yeah, true, true. Um, but, yeah, we've – and I guess the difference is when people turn up, it's generally not just for a coffee and then they keep going because they've got another couple of hundred Ks before they find somewhere else. So um, if they call in, they, you've generally got them for the night at a minimum. Um, so, which is a good thing, I think, because you, you really get to know people like over a coffee, uh, a coffee, it's not just, you know, the superficial sort of quick chit chat and then on your way. So you get them for the night and yeah, I've well, you, get some, <laughs> you get someone like me for a month. Nah. <laughs> but, um, we've had, oh gosh, we've had people come down the track with a group of camels that they were walking. And obviously when we, they don't ring all the time and say, oh, can we come? But, if they're walking down the track and you think, you know, all they want is a bed and a, a good bed and a shower for the night, then we invite uh, invite them in. And so, yeah, we had one lot with a heap of camels and um, another lot uh, on a horse and cart that were recreating some trip. We've had a couple that were, um, they turned up and knocked on the door and it wasn't until we were chatting and I just said, oh, what is, like, it was a husband and wife and a 18 month old child and they were walking across the middle of Australia and I said oh what do you, what do you what do you do and she said oh my husband's a professional adventurer and I just laughed I didn't even know that was a real thing but anyway it turns out like he legit was a professional so 
the Joneses, they were amazing family and we've actually kept in touch with them. So, yeah, we've had, oh, I don't know. Also, as I said, yeah, your truck drivers, your contractors, like your stock agents, you get all sorts of people. So it's always someone different and often you get friends of friends who, you know, like they've been told, call in because you get to see so much more than just what's on, on the track. So it's probably what makes the kids, like they know that, you know, everyone comes from somewhere and everyone's got a story. So so you've had some pretty interesting people come to your doorstep. What about interesting things you've seen when you've been out driving, whether it's on the station or to town or to the city? I'm sure driving along these roads you must oh. see some things. Um, Probably won't. We get a, a lot of tourists on the road, um, a lot of caravans, camper trailers coming up the Udnadatta track and um, some go up the highway towards Ezra, some come up um, like at Mount Sarah, we were on the road to Dalhousie Springs and up towards Fink. So one day on our boundary grid, we can't, like, there's this big thing lying on the side of the road. And obviously a tourist had had their camper trailer. Um, I don't know, I don't know what it's worth, probably a lot less now, but they're on the side of the road. Obviously the roads are, you know, they're very corrugated. It's, um, depends what time of the year and whether there's been road as, uh, rain as to how rough they are. But, yeah, there, there on the side of the road was someone's sink that had obviously, like, the latch had come loose on their camper trailer and the sink had, like, wheeled itself out. And as they went over the grid, they'd wiped off their kitchen sink. I, I don't know whether they noticed, but yeah, there was this kitchen sink still with a little pair of pink tongs sitting, <laughs> sitting in the sink as we did. And that sat there for a few months until we picked it up and put it down the dump. One other, I think I was driving out of Cooper on my way home and I could see a, Commodore coming down this dirt road and something was hanging out the window and I thought oh my gosh what is that like it was bright red and Cam was with me I said what is that like we sat this there it wasn't until it went past and there was someone hanging out the window with like you know one of those wire things that you cook a fish in on coals oh yeah yeah so it was one of those and it's full of coals but they're obviously cooking their kangaroo tail and to keep it alight, they were hanging out the side of their window, like these <laughs> roaring, these coals, like, were just bright red and, like, smoking and they're heading back into town and obviously with a couple of kangaroo tails were cooking on the way in. So, oh yeah. <laughs> um, but other than, on a more serious note, I guess accidents are always, you know, because of the amount of tourists and different people on the road. Every year there's a few motorbike riders that come unstuck we came across a accident. We'd just been to a local show and we're heading down the road and came across a fella from Melbourne who had come off his motorbike um, and he was out cold. And I guess, yeah, I, I'm always there and like do your first aid because you never know when you're going to. And chances are, you know, you're it if there's someone to help that. So we stopped, but I had, you know, we had the four kids with us. So we made sure we parked a long way back just so they. You know, their little beady eyes were looking out to see what had happened. But And he was out cold. But that day, I think we spent four hours sitting on the side of the road. It was howling wind. It was hot. And um, the kids, my, like the car was absolutely trashed by the end of it because they'd been through the glove box. They'd been through the centre console. They'd eaten, drunk everything. They'd been, uh, oh, they'd looked through everything. So, but that, um, yeah, that's probably the, I don't know, you never know what you're going to come across in terms and. Like, you know, the flying doctor is just amazing, but it takes time. Like, we live out in the middle of nowhere and so, yeah, you've got to just do what you have to until help arrives. So. 
With everything you've been saying and all the different stories and stuff we've yarned about today, the one thing that keeps coming through is you haven't really been critical or negative or any of anything. Like you've never been like, oh, and this <laughs> and oh, and that. And like, you know, not saying that some people are like that with everything, but there's just, I guess it's just this kind of, Look at me waving my hands. <laughs> it just obviously people listening cannot hear me waving my hands. Um, I don't know. It's just like this underlying attitude or energy that comes from you that you just, like you said earlier, you don't seem to dwell on the small things. And you, I just want to talk a bit about that because you seem to be like you seem to take a lot of things in your stride. And I just wonder how you got like that and and how you are able to stay like that. Because like, like even like with what we spoke about at the very beginning with the ball packing it in and you having the newborn, like it would just be so easy to just be like and just and just lose it. And and there's so many things you've, you know, little stories you've told throughout this thing that it would be so easy to have a very different response. Yeah. I'm just curious as to your mindset. I think it's just focusing on, on what's good like and, you know, you it's no point dwelling on what you can't change. Uh, I yeah, and to you know, I don't know. I think if you if you focus on everything you can't have, or you know, you, it's I don't know. It's what you make of it. To be honest, Steph. like I, if if you did focus on all the negative things, like, and it is such a great lifestyle that you, there's lots of good parts, and yeah, I think you just you can't you can't sit and wish you could change, like you know. No point looking over your shoulder and wishing you were that or wanting something, you know, someone else has because everyone's story is so different. Like you, you've really, I don't know. It, I, I've just always been a big believer in your happiness. It's what you make of it. Yeah. Bad things happen. And, but I, I think like you can't change, as I say, you can't change history. Like you, you, you can learn from it. And, um, yeah, but it just, doesn't kill you makes you stronger I guess you move on especially in this age of social media though you must you know you log on to Facebook and you'll see people yeah. in the city having coffees or on boats or on I don't know yeah. doing any any number of things and you know there might be a day out I'm not here sure it's all real like yeah, and that's probably yeah. and that, that's probably very critical so, but no but having that for that yeah. insight and that foresight to be able to recognize that whereas for a lot of us I think it's taken years to be like oh that's just one aspect yeah. of it whereas like I could during that really crappy summer like I could have put photos of like you know of just all having a wow of a time in the pool and people would think oh wow look at that like do you know what I mean? but in the background there's you know everyone's got their own story and things going on but social media yeah, I I try and limit what everyone's busy, but it's just time. <laughs> I have a lot of time to sit on there and look through stuff. But yeah, I think it's comparing. Like as they say, like comparisons are thief of joy. And I really believe, like, if you're going to sit and spend your whole life comparing to someone else, like everyone, everyone does have their own story. And if you're going to sit there and compare, you know, like you send yourself like batshit crazy, really. Like yeah. if you. And I think social media now, people can, you know, you're only seeing one tiny piece of a puzzle. You don't know all the rest of it. And so I suppose in a, in a sense the grass is always greener on the other side as well, like when you're looking. I think that came up in our episode with Kate Everett, uh, particularly when it comes to like being in a crew or working on a station and now there's so much 
station life on yeah. social media. It's pretty easy to open up your Instagram or your Facebook and go, oh, wow, look at that beautiful mm. picture of them mustering or of them all. It's a bit of McLeod's daughter syndrome. Yeah. So, which, like, you know, yeah. people apply for a job and think they're going to be riding a horse off into the sunset every afternoon and, yeah, there's <laughs> lots of horses bolting <laughs> into the darkness. Uh, meanwhile, it's 50 degrees and, yeah. So <laughs> many flies up here. <laughs> there's a lot of flies. Oh, only when it rains. Only after it rains. Yeah, so. I was going to say, there hasn't, there hasn't been no. flies for about three weeks. No. I did even, it's funny because when they hear, it's all I notice. <laughs> and then they just stopped one day and I didn't even realise. Yeah. Like, I didn't even notice that they'd stopped. And it's got cooler. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, but I yeah. guess, like, the happiness factor is just, it's taken me quite a long time, but probably learning to accept help. Like, you know, at the beginning, you know, you don't want to say yes to help because you feel like, you you know, people frown on me that I can't do it on my own or, you you know, you you feel like you, you shouldn't lean on other people. But, uh, like, even I, I remember when I first moved to Mount Sarah, like, people would say, oh, we're coming up, do you need anything? And, like, I'd... I'd need a bag of potatoes, but I didn't want to ask them to, you know, go out of their way and go to the shop and get them for me and pay for them for me. And then, like, and I was just, oh, no, no, I'll, I'll make do, like, and go the hard way around. Whereas now, like, it, it really is a village to make things run. And, um, if, if there's someone willing to help, take it because people, I think we think people might think differently of us, but, you know, like, most of the time it's we're our own worst enemy in that we're we're thinking for other people and really to hell with what like if you got on with it like you know do things for you do things like to help you stop thinking about what other people might be could be should be thinking like it's well that's like one of our favorite quotes that we we both learnt earlier today that we both know and really like is it's none of our business what other people think of us yeah yeah and it takes a minute to get that to sink in and mm. yeah and i um but it is like it's just living out here it it's like cogs in a machine like you do, you do need other people to to help and yeah you've got to be organized and whatever else but and don't get me wrong like there are days where you think holy shit like this is seriously like life could be so much easier elsewhere but i think that's just everyone would be like that like it's but and if you focus on the positives like i get to see my kids 24 7 sometimes i'm not sure that's a good thing but most (laughs) of the time it is um like they're around me until they go away to boarding school like it's there are lots of good things um you know i get to see cam for lunch some days of the week and you know it's it's an amazing family life um and you know and i look at the young staff and and, you know, staffing is not always an easy thing, getting staff, because now I guess especially in SA with the mining and people chasing, like, big dollars for um, when they're straight out of school and whatever else, where if you could just bottle the lifestyle and the experience that they'd have, like, with the amount of mates that they meet in, you know, they do 12 months, the amount of mates they meet and the skills they learn and the experience they have, like, it's they'll talk about that for a lifetime. Whereas, you know, just, you know, if they, and it's not, you know, it's not a hugely paid industry, but if you can put that aside and actually just the, I think it may, it makes boys grow into men in terms of, and now girls grow into women really, like in terms of how much they grow up and they become independent and, you know, like it is bloody hard work and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just such a good lifestyle in terms, but it's not for everyone. So. No, and I, I know you say like it's not the most lucrative salary package out there, but 
well, salary, but then when you think of it in terms of a salary package and you think about what yeah. they're saving on accommodation, yeah. food. But I um, think now a lot of these, they look at the, you know, what are they being paid per hour, per day or whatever, but a little understand when they tell you, you know, you don't have any cost for food, you don't have any cost for your internet bill, you don't have any cost for your accommodation. But, and so, yeah, it's just that perception of, and, you know, they all leave at the end of a year and they save money. Like, yeah, they drink, they drink beer and smoke and whatever else, but they still save money because probably number one, they don't have a huge amount of things to spend it on, even though internet shopping's made that change. Oh yeah. I still haven't. Um, <laughs> you told me when I first got here to like get on catch of the day. I still haven't got on. Thank God. Uh, yeah, well, I did try. There were no dangerous. It's yeah. a worldwide shortage of Berkies. If anybody wasn't aware. Ah, it's, uh, yeah. Really the bane in my existence. COVID. I just no. want a pair of Berkies. I think as well, like it's about not. I think as you get a bit older as well, you probably, you know, I <laughs> say you, you get older and your eyesight gets worse, but you, you're much more able to see through the bullshit. And that's probably what I think it's just a, as you get older, you sort of, you know, you your surround. Priorities. Yeah. And you surround yourself by people that make you feel good. Like, you know, if, if someone's always, you know, doubting you or putting you down, like cut them loose. Like, a, do you know what I mean? It's life's too short to sort of and surround I guess surround yourself by people we can't be good at everything but you know each person's got their things so lean on other people to help you like do things get things like and I think community stuff has really that's being part of this community that's really changed and you know you being in the city like you go to the paper catch up with the friends that you want to catch up with you you go to a barbecue and you know most of the people whereas here you you catch it like everyone comes together, but you you don't really get a choice of who's you know everyone's just invited, and it doesn't matter whether you're eight like eighteen or eighty. You're all part of the same community, and you just even though we're we're really isolated, the actual you know like now with the internet and with um, things the way they are, like you. I guess the only time you feel isolated is when you you head south and you've got to pack up the car and drive for like. 14 hours with kids in the car, that's probably the only time where you feel like you're on your own. I suppose in a sense, um, like when you're saying whether you're 18 or 80, you're all going to end up at the same barbecue, it's in a way, I'm not saying it guarantees tolerance, but if you want to survive and not just survive but thrive and be happy in your life, you have to learn to adapt and be tolerant. And You become very accepting of other people and – and I guess you do, you realise like a lot of it is superficial stuff that, you know, people judge, are so fast to judge, and especially when you see, you know, the young ones come out of school and, you know, they've been in their own little friendship groups and you can judge, you know, that group or like this group. or Whereas when you come and work, like you're in the real world, everyone's different and you've just got to, and, and it's funny, like they start, some start at the beginning of the year and like, oh, that person like have a bit of a win. But it's funny, by the end of the year, they're all like good mates and, and that's just, yeah, uh, your tolerance and your acceptance of other people definitely grows because there's so many different warps of life that come, like, sit at your kitchen table, really. And it's definitely not quiet. There's always people coming and going. And yeah, I think occasionally tourists have rocked up and say, Oh, you know, I thought you just want to see a friendly face, like, as if we don't <laughs> see anyone. I was like, oh, My God, like, I just want no. some peace and quiet. <laughs> I just want to walk around my house naked and know that no one's going to see me, which will never ever It's like ever Big happen. Brother on steroids. Like, you do, you share a lot of your, per- like, not your personal life, but your life is shared with staff. You're, you're living with them all the time. And we, you know, because I'm cooking for them, we all, they're at our kitchen table every night. And so I guess you've sort of, 
I don't know. You're, you're a mother, you're a wife, you're the cook, you're the bookkeeper, like you're the nurse, you're the counsellor, you're sort of, you've, you've got to wear lots of hats. And I guess, um, social media has definitely changed how things, um, are done. And, uh, I guess for anyone looking for a job on a station, like you, I'm, I'm sure most people do it. If someone puts in an application for a job, you stalk them because that's what, Facebook allows you to do so you go through and have a look at what they look like and if they've you know got three pig dogs and a a girlfriend and a kid or whatever like they're not going to fit your single men's accommodation are they so I guess we do we do look at people's Facebook but I this the social media side of it yeah like we've well I guess it's happened like staff the current staff would love to know who a new staff member is that's coming in so I know there's a few of us. We we're pretty cagey about giving out a name of a new staff member coming because they'll get they'll get stalked, but and a judgment made before they even arrive. So it's sort of we're trying to eliminate that and let let them make you know make their mind up when they arrive and based on their work ethic and what they're like as a person rather than a couple of photos or comments on Facebook. So I think that is something that is quite common these days, like you said, you, you hear someone new is coming. Like it's one thing for an employer to want to just do a bit of a, you know, Facebook stalk, but really also that's what your references mm. are there for. But, yeah, for someone to go, oh, this person's coming to work here, let's stalk them, let's follow them, you know, and we just get these ideas about people and you just – I think that's – I love that you – that's something you've been quite passionate about, that you're like, no, wait until they arrive, meet them in person and judge them on who they are when yeah. they're here, not some photo you saw, not some Instagram story or some TikTok yeah. video or some whatever. Like, I mean, sometimes those things can be good indicators, but yeah. if you've if you've hired them, it's pretty, pretty you, hypocritical when I've just said we stalk. Them. No, that, no, no, but but you're also doing that's from an a different inter- perspective. Yeah, yeah. you're yeah. also doing an interview and contacting references. So. Yeah. I think it's up for the staff to trust that a manager has done their due diligence to hire yeah. someone that they think is appropriate for the job and, and to fit into the dynamic of the team. But, yeah, it is something we're all guilty of. Like, we do love a good stalk. Oh, um, I'm basically is- an FBI <laughs> agent. Like, you give me – you'd be like, Steph, I saw this person in this town wearing this, like, blue shirt and I'll come back to you, like, three days later <laughs> and be like, okay, this is where they go, this is who their parents are, this me, is what they do. You me how to put podcasts on my phone. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's me. That's definitely not you. You're not the FBI agent. Um, no, I think, it, yeah, social media, it's it's changed in a way. Even, you know, like, <laughs> I find just little stuff, like, don't get me wrong, and it's not, it's not all of them um, and it's not every property. Like, I can't talk for everyone else, but it's definitely – it's changed the way, you know, as soon as the the time that probably staff used to sit around and, you know, drink a few beers or whatever and chat and talk and play board games and cards. Yeah. Oh, I don't know about that, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that just me being that, you know, <laughs> you don't want to play Monopoly with But they definitely work. now go and sit down and straight out like the phone, you know, just start scrolling and, yeah. I, I don't know, maybe I'm the old school, but sometimes like, Obviously, our internet, we only get like limited data and at a cost. And so once it runs out each month, you can tell because they actually do sit there and talk to each other. Yeah, they're like, oh God. They can't even get a photo to load. So I contact. <laughs> it's been three weeks and I still can't see my Snapchat. But it's, it's, it's amazing. Like we've had, um, staff and especially our phone, like Gavi's a rock up with their phone, literally like a, 
another limb on their body, like it's attached to them 24-7. They can't put their phone down. But after a few weeks, like, you know, sometimes they won't have their phone and by the end of the year, like the phone's, you know, left in the bedroom, you just don't need it. And it is, it's that, I guess it's breaking a habit that you don't need it all the time and I'm pretty like phones I'm allowed in the school room during school time because it's a distraction and but yeah you really do see like when when you get someone straight out it's got like the phones are a real like it's like a security blanket but when you're walking or even when you're mustering out in the paddock well you've got no signal so but in saying that the phones have opened it up as a safety measure like just with maps and bits and pieces out in the paddock so they you know they've got a, an app like with a map and they can see what tanks there so as a safety measure like technology and that's been yeah everything has its pros yeah and and even like water monitoring and bits like that like it's really made things more efficient and help but it's just the the social media and it's good it's good for keeping in touch with different people that you wouldn't you know otherwise but yeah I think the (laughs) the stalking and making a judgment on people just based on what's been posted um yeah probably it's not always a good thing so to sum up this part of our chat, we've, you know, kind of just discussed about how, you know, like I said, you've got this mindset where you seem to take things in your stride. You know, I'm not saying you're perfect and you always just take things on the chin and keep going, but you, you seem to have this, I suppose, like peace about you or this, I don't know, some sort of energy where you kind of, I know you're looking at me, you're like, Steph, you're embarrassing me and people I know are going to listen to this. Um Kirsty doesn't get to choose what I call the episode or what I say oh about her. So don't worry. This, none of this. Kirsty's just looking at me going, <laughs> Oh, why did I agree to this? But I suppose I just, I just kind of want to sum up our conversation on like the, the idea of, you know, comparison is a thief of joy and the grass is always greener on the other side and you never know what someone else is going through. And you've kind of got to, I guess it's in a way step up and take responsibility for. The way, yeah, yeah, your choices and and just how you, you know, they say like, um, was it, there's some saying about life is like 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I respond to that or something, I know something along those lines, you know, like you could, you could take, we could all respond very differently to the same exact scenario. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, I'm a big believer that, you know, yes, don't get me wrong, people can be lucky. But I think it's also about putting yourself in a position that you can take opportunities, like, you know, take the opportunity up when it becomes available. And that can be perceived as luck, you know, like everything falls in their lap. But you've, yeah, it's, it's, I guess, taking, taking a risk, taking it, but you've got to do things for you, like not, not for other people. Well, don't get me wrong. You've, you do have to do things for other people in terms of work and whatever else. But, um, I think. It's what you make of it and you just, um, yeah, I don't know. That, that, no, that actually just reminds me. So what a little bit earlier in our conversation you said um, like one of the things you learned was to accept help and that at the beginning you wouldn't yeah. want to accept help because you thought, well, no, I'm supposed to be able to do this, this and that and I shouldn't have to ask for help. And, you know, before we said like it really takes a village and I suppose that is this idea which I'm constantly having like this conversation I'm constantly having with people is that – Aside from like life isn't black and white. Like it's pretty no. much all great. There's a few things like don't murder, don't mm. 
B and there's two other ones. So I just don't feel like I should say them. <laughs> but there's like a few things that I'm like black and white, like don't do. But everything else is very gray. And like who made up these rules? Like everything for anybody that's not come across this before, like go Google the term social construction. But everything is, is, a, is a social construction really. So who says that you have to be at home and do this and do that? And, and it's, and, and so many of the social constructions that we live under are this Western society. In Western society, you have a child. You've got to bounce back in six weeks, have your bikini body, you, you know, have your job, probably a side hustle as well, which is what your social media is mm. for, is, you know, because we're going to be flogging our multi-level marketing or our side hustle or something on top of our regular job and our kids and our bikini body. And we're not going to need like, you know, Nana might only babysit once a month or whatever. Um, whereas like, you <laughs> love her. You tell her that I've just oh, no. seen that situation just one or two times. Whereas in other parts of the world, it's very normal and normalized and accepted and expected that, you know, the baby gets passed around or that everyone comes to mm. help out with, you know, something or, you know, whatever. Like it's a, it's, and so it's it, our own perception of yeah. what we want people to think as well. Like, yeah. you know, you have to be that perfect wife or the perfect community but who member. Decided exactly. Who the is, but it's like, the pressures we put on ourselves. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, it. I don't know. I see. I and he's like, I well, after I had Lucy, I went back to work at the local um, Aboriginal school, and I did that for a year and drove in two days a week and like drove in the eighty k's. And I did that. I obviously the opportunity was there to go back teaching, and I did that for a year, and then I was due to have George, so I had him that summer, and I thought about going back again, but. It was just, it was getting too much trying to cook for staff. Like I'd have to spend a day cooking, trying to get meals ready for staff. And then I'd go in and teach, like I'd try and get planned and have to go in and teach for the two days. And then I'd get back and have to, you know, really not pick up the pieces because Cam did an amazing job, but just try and, you know, catch up on the washing and catch up on and back cooking. And then all of a sudden, like the Tuesday, I'd be back again, ready to cook all day to try and get ready to go Wednesday. So I didn't go back after I had George, but. After well, he hit about twelve months old, and I could just start to feel my mind. Like I love love where I live, love the lifestyle, but I just that professional side of it. Um, I could feel my like my head starting to sort of go to mush. Like I felt like I was just cooking, cleaning, changing nappies, and chasing after a like two year old. So I I just said to Cam one night, I said I I think I might study again, and he was like, oh, whatever, whatever you feel like. Like, and I, and he said, what are you going to do? And I said, oh, I've looked it up and I might do psychology. Like it's, you know, I can do it all online. And, and I think a part of it is having a partner that is supportive, but in a way respectful of also you needing to keep yourself. Like you don't just want to be that martyr running after, like you need to keep your own, your own interests, I guess, your own friends. And, um, so I did, I enrolled in a graduate diploma of psychology and, I probably didn't read the, well, I didn't, I didn't read the fine print and I didn't realise it was so intensive and um, I could only have two blocks off, like I could have a 12-week block off and that was the maximum and about a month after I enrolled I fell pregnant with Jack and and so I was trying to study and, yeah, I had Jack and I could only take this little bit of time off but it was it was 36 hours a week and I was trying to fit. So I just did that at night but I had... You know, even though I whinged about doing it, I thought, no, and I was incredibly fortunate. Canellan, I got a, um, the EJ Canellan Award to help me through that. And so I was like, no, I'm not pulling out of this. But Cam, he used to come make sure he was home on a Sunday, apart from mustering that, but he would do house jobs where he was at the shed or, you know, so he could be around. And 
try and keep the kids out of my hair that day just so I could get a big chunk done on a Sunday. And it was crappy family time there. Like I, I just wanted to be outside with the kids and Cam when I could hear them. But yeah, I did that mainly for my own brain because I could feel myself just not getting bitter and gnarly, but I, I needed to do something. And so that's why I did it. And I, I, I don't want to be a psychologist or anything, but I needed just to, I don't keep my brain, brain busy in a different, a different way from what my normal life was. I suppose it doesn't matter what area we're talking about you can be you're damned if you do damned if Mm. you don't like people can spin things any which way like you're saying you're going back to school with lucy she's going back to school should she be at home with the baby Mm. or then oh but if you didn't oh she's at home with the baby like shouldn't she be pulling her weight and going back to school and i think a conversation obviously not relevant to everybody listening that i've had countless times in the past two years is with um station managers, wives or partners is do we come and eat with the crew, especially if we've got kids or do we eat at home separate? And it's like, again, you can spin it any which way you want. Like, oh, she's coming to eat with the crew. Like she's too lazy to cook and she's blah, blah, blah. Or, oh, no, they don't eat with us. They're at their own house. They're too good for us. But then do people think that or is that what we think? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Is that what we think? Yeah, and these are the the different things I get from because I've got people like – It's noise. It's noise in your brain. Brain, and it's just this idea of letting it go because people will go and there's people that will be have think one or the other and then – some people think both, and that you like you just are constantly being like. See, I've been thinking every friend. Some friends have caught like my governess and nanny, and that really irks me. But I don't say anything because that's like you know me saying, "Oh, your school teacher's your nanny," like because at the end of the day, someone has to be in the schoolroom, but they're yeah. not they're not babysitting my kids. Like the kids are at home all day for school. They're legally required to be. Supervised. They're supervising the school day. They're not there as a nanny, but it's it's sort of just a perception. Of, oh, you've got. You know, you've got hired you help. Go. You've got someone helping you with the kids. As, but it, do you know what? They can think what they like because I know unless they come up and have a look how it all works, then yeah. it's just and, – and we're all probably guilty of it. And so yeah. that you do – unless you see it in action, you don't actually have a de- – like that real understanding of how things work. Yeah. So, so you've just got to – like people can spin – anything can be spun any which way, so you've just got to do it, like you're saying, do it for you yeah, and not do it for anyone else. And there's lots of things out there now we'd like to take advantage, especially COVID's really played into our hands in that online, like everything's become available online and you, there's so many courses and different workshops and bits and pieces available that, you know, if something really – you know, catches your interest, like do it, do it for yourself. And I know time's hard because it's, it is a busy life, like, you know, and sometimes it's relentless, like it doesn't, doesn't let up. But I, I think one of the other things as well, and I'm very guilty of it is, you know, and, and I think I've said it in one of my blogs, like I just need an extra 20 hours in every day. Well, it's, you're asking for the impossible and it's never going to happen. So it's more about, and I'm trying to work on it. It's just changing the way you do things like, you know, recalibrating what, Something's got to give. Well, well, yeah, speaking of, um, you know, needing to, to take a step back and and look after you, um, I should probably let you. I've had you recording for an hour and a half now and uh, you do have four children. <laughs> you are cooking for other people and talking about teaching, you have been doing NAPLAN marking. So yeah. you're so in addition to, you know, <laughs> running the whole homestead, cooking, um, running the children, you know, like your business, all your book, all your office work and stuff, you're also doing like an extra extra yeah, it's only job for a as few well. weeks. It's yeah. But uh, and here I am taking off all this time. No. And it is a Sunday. No, as but well. talking of lenient people, like I did I I knew we were middle of mustering, so the 
the boys are in and out going out on camp and I I I asked mum if she could come up so mum drove the 900 k's up that just to spend the week here so she can have the kids it's it's only a few, like it's five hours in the afternoon as the night shift but that's just I'm I'm doing that mainly to keep my finger in it and just to keep yeah, yeah. and so it's okay to say hey mum yeah can you come help me they yeah. might say no get stuck yeah. but yeah. They might say, sure, honey. But and it helps. Is. Yeah. And I guess because we've got the kids all the time, we don't have childcare. We, you know, you, you are on your own for a lot of the time. So yeah. take the help when you can get it. So to wrap up, looking back on your life so far, um, and we're still fairly early on, you should say, wait till you listen to Tony's episode. I said something at some point in there, which made it sound like his life was over. And then I was like, oh, shit, you still have like several, several <laughs> decades to go. I'm sorry, mate. Like you're, you're older, but not old. Like, ooh. um, what would you say is the major takeaway lesson? For me, it's probably just, I guess, own your own happiness. Like, and yeah, be you. Let's stop worrying about other people and do things for you, not for other people. Focus on, and that not in a selfish way, but yeah, get own your own story and stop looking over your shoulder at what others could or should or might be thinking. Charles Darwin University's Agricultural and Rural Operations team focuses on North Australian production and business systems, offering current real-world knowledge and experience by delivering both full qualifications and industry-required short courses. Courses at the rural campus are designed to develop the skills required for work on a North Australian beef cattle property or in the top-end agricultural industry, while providing a sound knowledge base in the pastoral and or agricultural industries. They have dedicated staff who specialise in workplace training and assessment and recognition of prior learning. They will come to you and they service some of the most remote areas in the Northern Territory. Find out more at cdu.edu.au. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find our podcast. You can find our website at centralstation.net.au where we have over 1,200 stories published from across Northern Australia. All of our podcast episodes, a tourism directory for visiting an outback cattle station, and training and employment resources. We're on Facebook at Central Station True Stories from Outback Australian Cattle Stations, and we're on Instagram at centralstation.net.au, and we're also on Twitter at Central Station 6. To discuss this episode with other listeners, head on over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast.